0: and peace are yours in abundance from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. As I was thinking about this sermon today, a sermon called Unloved, talking about the times maybe we feel unloved or feel like nobody cares, I couldn't help but think about Doris. I first met Doris in the summer of 2011. When she pulled up in that little townhome complex that she was moving into, in a small U-Haul that was packed with all of her belongings. But that wasn't the first time I actually talked to Doris. She had called me about a month earlier. And still to this day, I would say it was one of the strangest, difficult, a little bit weird, and disturbing calls that I have ever received since becoming a pastor. She told me some things that were certainly troubling, and, and then she said that she was moving to Utah. She, she lived out east, and she was moving out west to leave everything behind in the past to start fresh and new. I said, okay, that, that, that's great. What, what can I do for you? She said, well... There was another local pastor in church who were going to help her with the move and unpack her and do all this stuff, because she was well into her 60s and wheelchair-bound. But last minute, they bailed on her. For reasons that I would eventually find out why, disturbing reasons, they no longer were going to help her. Well, I met her, and over the first couple of weeks, she told me some very, very, very troubling things from her past. And so from day one, I could tell this woman had some serious, serious trust issues. She felt like nobody cared about her. She felt like everybody had written her off and that nobody loved her, including God. The more I got to know Doris, the more I understood why she felt the way she did. See, Doris was born and raised into your typical late 1950s Christian family in the upper Midwest. Her mom was a secretary at the local church that they went to. Her dad was a fine, upstanding guy in the community and in the church family as well. And from the outside looking in, you'd say, wow, that's the family everybody wants to be like. But there was a dark side. Doris's family, particularly mom and dad, were heavy into the occult. The occult, satanic worship, rituals, and a bunch of other horrible things that I'm not even going to talk about in this sermon today. That's what she witnessed, right? Church on Sunday, but for the rest of the week, it wasn't Jesus and it wasn't a Christian home at all. And the very people who were supposed to love her and protect her, like mom and dad, introduced her to a horrific, horrible, troubling, satanic world of the occult. At a very young age. She told me things, and she experienced, witnessed, and even endured things that would make even the toughest among us cry cuz i did oftentimes and there was times that the hair in the back of my neck stood up doris was abused mentally physically emotionally spiritually sexually She was forced to see and participate in things that no child, no human being should ever have to, and often at the hands of those closest to her, and if her family wasn't doing it to her, they were standing by watching while it was done to her. Wasn't a shocker to me then that she said the first chance she could when she turned 18, she might've even been 17 at the time, she's like, I'm out of here, and she left. And she wasn't gonna go back. But over the years, she would slip back into that that life. That life of the occult, that life of abuse, that life of demonic and and satanic stuff that would scare the toughest among us. And and then she would try to get out of it. And she reached out to help numerous times. She reached out to pastors. She reached out to Christians in, in local Christian churches. And you think, well, that's a good thing. It's a great start. But time and time and time again, the very people that said they would help her and help her with the good news of Jesus, they bailed on her. And I don't want to sit in judgment on those pastors or those members in those churches because, man, I know why. Some of it was straight up fear. There were times that I didn't want to go back to her house because I was a little nervous of the things she told me. Some of it was just her demanding ways, because if you know anything about people who struggle and are hurting for whatever reason, they can sometimes be demanding, because you know the saying, right? Hurt people hurt people. So she wasn't always pleasant to be around. Sometimes she lashed out because she was hurting so bad. So oftentimes, one by one, pastors, churches, Christian brothers and sisters distanced themselves from her leaving her feeling unloved, leaving her feeling like nobody cares. In fact, I can still hear her voice today. One of the things she would ask me almost every time she would open up, tell me something about her her past that was gut-wrenching, sad, and horrific. She'd look at me and say, are you going to throw me away now too? I understand that that Doris's story and her past is super extreme. But that feeling of being unloved and uncared for, I don't think Doris or people who are struggling the way she did has a monopoly on that. Because I think sometimes in our lives, we all struggle. We all feel unloved. We all feel like nobody cares. And maybe even we're thinking that about God. Maybe it's when that problem that we were struggling with it didn't go away. We pleaded, "Please help us," and, and God said, "No, you're going to have to struggle with it." Like, don't you care? Don't you see what I'm struggling with, God? Maybe it was the relationship that went south. You lost the job. You lost your friend. An illness that doesn't let go. You miscarried. You name it, there's tons of things in our lives that maybe we're tempted to think, Do you care? Do you still love me? Because when we look around our lives, maybe we don't always see it. You know who wants you to think that? The devil. He wants you to think that you're alone, that nobody cares, that nobody loves you, that nobody's going to help you. That's what he wants. But God today, in his word, says that's the furthest thing from the truth. And so the section of God's word that we read just a few minutes ago from 1 Peter chapter 5, God wants to assure you that you are precious, that you are loved, and that he absolutely cares for you. Right? Even if, even if this were possible, that everybody abandons you and nobody on this planet loves you or cares for you, God says, I will always love you, I will always care for you, you can come to me. And so in this section that I read just a few minutes ago from 1 Peter chapter 5, we want to zero in to start on one of the verses. It's probably one you've heard before. If you've been around the church any length of time or any Christians, right? You've heard this one. We put it on coffee cups. Maybe you've said it to somebody who was struggling, right? Hey, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, as always, we have to look at God's word in context. So I want to give you the immediate context of the chapter, and I want to talk to you a little bit about the context of this whole letter that Peter is writing here. The immediate context, he's writing to the elders of the church. And the way that word is used in the Bible, he's he's talking about the pastors and the spiritual leaders of the church, right? Right? And in chapter 5, he talks about, yeah, things are going to get hard, and it's not going to always be easy, and sometimes it might feel like the whole world's against you because false teaching is going to infiltrate the church. People that you trusted were going to try to get at you. The world's going to attack you. Don't worry, though. Cast it on God because he cares for you. That's the immediate context. The bigger context, the entire letter, it's a little broader. Peter is writing to a, a group of Christians, not just the pastors, and the spiritual leaders, but he's writing to an entire group of Christians. A group who was struggling. A group whose life was not easy. A group who did not live in a country where we remember those who died for our freedom to worship the way we want. They lived under a regime. They didn't care about any of that. They oppressed Christians. Right? Last fall, our God and government sermon series, we talked about the Roman ruler Nero. Remember him? Not a nice guy. In fact, you could take any politician in America today, and I don't care what side of the aisle they're on, you would take them every time over Nero. And if you wouldn't, I would question your sanity. Because Nero was a brutal, bloodthirsty killer. He ruled with an iron fist, and if you got in his way gone. If you're lucky, you'll die in a, in a dungeon, a Roman prison, if you're not so lucky, off with your head. In fact, a lot of historical accounts said that Nero had his own mother killed. If you're willing to kill your own mom, I think you're willing to do just about anything. And any of his enemies whether they were Christians or political enemies, he would often arrest them and to use them as an example for others of what not to do, he would take them and and cover them in a flammable material. He would tie them up to posts or even put them up on posts tied to them. And then in order to light his garden parties or to light the streets at night, he'd light them on fire. That is what these Christians were living under. That kind of ruler and that kind of atmosphere. It was not cool to be a Christian. It was not safe. You were going to face ridicule. And it wasn't just somebody trolling you on social media. It was your neighbors, family members, friends looking to turn you in, to arrest you, to have you put to death. Maybe it would be quick. Or maybe your entire family would be in a Roman Colosseum as lions rip babies from your hands as 50,000 people went like this. That's what our brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago that Peter was writing to were faced with. That's what they were dealing with. And and I would guess if they're anything like us, human beings who struggle, there's no doubt there was some thoughts of, God, wait a minute, don't, don't you care about us? Do you see what's happening? Don't you love us? And that's not even including talking about their own personal interactions that they struggle with on a daily basis in their relationships, at home, at work, and stuff like that and beyond. This was just trying to survive navigating a world where they were a Christian in a world that hated Christians. You know what Peter says to him, Go ahead. Cast all your anxiety on him, on God, because he cares for you. Whatever it is, hand it over to him. He's got it. He cares about it. He loves you. Now, I, I want to spend just a second on, on one of the words here that at least jumped out at me. Maybe it did for you. Anxiety, right? We kind of know what anxiety is. Anxiety is that, that feeling of, of nervousness, of, of maybe some dread, with an upcoming test to end out the school year, or maybe it's a, a doctor's appointment and you gotta go in and find out why you haven't been feeling good, or maybe it's a hard conversation you, you, need, you, know, you know you need to have with somebody, <laughs> but you're anxious about it and you're dreading it. Well, here's the thing about anxiety. At least for most of us, it doesn't subside until those issues are, are somewhat resolved, right? Until we feel like we got a handle and things are going to be okay. And so, anxiety at many levels can be completely debilitating. Whatever the issue is, it's something you're going to think about whether you're at the dinner table, maybe you're lying in bed at night, you're watching TV, you're at work, you're at school, you're sitting here at church, and and you can't get your mind off of it. it. It just consumes you. You're scared, you're worried, you're fearful. So, what is it for you? We all got them, right? We all got things that we get anxious about. What causes you anxiety? Maybe it's something from the past. I've dealt with a lot of people that that haven't resolved past issues, and, and it causes anxiety, it causes worry, and they replay in their mind. Maybe it's something they did and screwed things up, or something someone did to them, and they play it over and over and over and over and over again, and it consumes them. And it's so unhealthy. Is that you? Maybe as you think about that you think about the things that you did and you're like well maybe 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 they don't care maybe maybe he doesn't love me and you know what after what I did maybe they shouldn't Maybe for some of you it's it's some form of illness some chronic pain it's no fun living with chronic pain and you just want to break just give me a day off from it god right help me out don't you know i'm struggling Don't you care? Don't you love me? Can you take it away, please? The next morning you wake up and it's still there. Maybe it's that broken relationship. Maybe it's something you said or did that you can't take back, or or something someone said or did to you and it it, it can't be taken back. And and you think about it and, and you wonder, maybe no one cares. Maybe it's a marriage that's gone south. That job you didn't get. That friend who said that they would be there for you through thick and thin turned out they weren't. And you wonder if anybody cares. If anybody loves you. You know what God says? He says, give it to me. Cast it all, whatever it is that plagues your heart with anxiety, cast it on me because I care for you. I love you. Sounds so nice, doesn't it? Just cast it on God. What's the phrase? Let go and let God. Oh, that sounds so nice. (laughs) But here's the problem. Any fishers, fishermen here today, women, anybody like to fish? Nobody? Some of you will admit it, right? Okay, what do you do when you go fishing? You grab your pole, you go to your spot, you put some bait on there, get the lure ready, and you do what? Right? You cast it, and then what do you eventually do? You reel it back in, right? You know where I'm going with this. God says, hey guys, cast it all on me, whatever it is. And what do we often do? We might even go to church or pray and we cast it on God, but then we... Slowly reel it back in. And all of a sudden that night, we're not sleeping well again because we're thinking about what we just casted on Jesus. Right? God says, cast all your anxieties on me because I care for you. And then we look at our life and it's like, but really? I don't see any change there, God. Are you really listening? Do you really care? Or in Psalm 50, God says, hey, on that day when you're in trouble, give me a call. Call me up and I will deliver you. And we say, yeah, but where's this deliverance that you promised, God? Because I'm not seeing it or I'm not feeling it. Or in Matthew chapter 7, what does Jesus say to us, right? He gives us an invitation. He says, ask, seek, knock, and the door will be open to you. And some of you feel like you've been pounding on that door for days, months, maybe even years. And it doesn't seem like any doors are being open. And you still feel unloved and uncared for. So again, what's the solution? Cast it. right? Cast all your anxieties on him. Whatever it is, your fears, your doubts, your worries, your sins, you name it. God says, cast it on me. Take it to the foot of the cross and then leave it there. And while you're there, spend some time there. You know, oftentimes, if, if, I'm, if I'm thinking straight now, my A-game, when, when people come to me with some anxieties and struggles that they have, one of the first questions I try to ask them is this. How's your spiritual life? Are you getting into the Word daily? Are you praying often? If not, that's where you got to start, because that's your problem. Right? You're not going to the person who says he cares for you and to give it to him. Because here's the deal. If you want to know without a doubt if God loves you, if you want to know with no questions asked, no worries, no concerns that God cares for you, don't go to the self-help book section at Barnes & Noble. Don't go to your BFF unless they're going to point you to Jesus. Go to the foot of the cross. That's it. So simple, right? Go to God where He's found in His Word. Spend some time at the foot of the cross. Because here's what God did for you God didn't just sit back in in His heavenly lazy boy and look down on all of us schmucks and say, oh, it sucks to be them. But you know what? It's their fault. It's their sin. They made their bed and lie in it. No, He was grieved. His heart broke and he said, no, I'm not going to stand by and watch my creation spin out of control, die because of their own sins in hell forever. I'm going to do something. And he did. He sent his own son. And here's the deal. God didn't have to do that. Nobody forced God to do that. And I think, who of us would do that? Would you give up your own child for somebody else? Some of you are sitting next to your kids today. You're holding them in, their, in your arms. You're rocking them. You're snuggling them. Would you give that child up for somebody else, especially knowing that person, half of them are going to want to beat them, bully them, and kill them? Would you do it? I'm not giving up my sons for anybody. <laughs> you know what your father in heaven said? said, Absolutely. I will give up my own son if it means that I can spend eternity with you. (laughs) And so that is what Jesus did. He willingly obeyed his father and he came to this world to seek and to save and to find you. And he knows what it's like. Jesus has walked in your shoes and then some. He knows what it's like to be ridiculed and mocked. He knows what it's like to have family turn on you. He knows what it's like to have a best friend sell him out for a measly thirty pieces of silver, which really is not that much money if you can do the conversion rate. He knows what it's like to seem like nobody cares. Nobody loves, but through it all, he knew one person always did, his father. And so he stayed the course, because that love was not just for his own son, it was for you. And so Jesus came, and he laid down his life for you. And now he says, come on, whatever it is that you're anxious about, whatever it is that you're struggling with, I got big enough shoulders to handle it. You don't, I do. Because I've already taken it all on my cross. All of your sin, all of your greed, your lust, your pride, your anger, even the times that you doubted if I cared and loved you, I took it all on myself, paid it in full, so now give me whatever it is. I can handle it, and I want to take it off your plate because I love you. That's Jesus' promise and invitation to you today. That was Jesus' promise and invitation for Doris. Early on when I first met her, in fact, that was that first phone call, she asked if I would be her pastor. And uh, having no idea, as as a, a pretty new pastor, only been out two, three years, I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but I said, absolutely, for sure, Doris, I will be your pastor, And only by God's grace I was able to keep that promise to her for three and a half years. For three and a half years, I got to see Doris, I got to talk to Doris, and even after I moved here, she would still call me regularly. In fact, I probably spent more time with Doris than I did anybody else in those three years. At least once a week, I would visit her, and probably about once a day, sometimes 10, she would call me. And every time, I got to tell her, Jesus loves you. Jesus forgives you. Jesus says, Doris, you are his precious child. Despite your horrific past, Despite the things that you endured, the abuses, the things you saw, despite your own sins and guilt, he has forgiven you completely. And he loves you. Even if you think nobody else does, God does. Would she doubt that? Every single time I told her, she would. In fact, it was almost like clockwork. I would finish that, we would pray together, and I'd be walking out to my car, and my phone would ring. You know who it was? (laughs) Not even 30 seconds after, it was Doris. And I'd pick up the phone and say, Hi, what's going on, Doris? Pastor, is that true? Even me? He could love and forgive even me? Yeah, Doris, even you, he does. Okay, thanks, pastor, bye. You know what, Doris doesn't doubt anymore. Doris doesn't doubt anymore because of the words that that Peter speaks to us right at the end. He says this, and the God of all grace, right, the God who is willing to send his own son, the God who called you to eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. Doris has been restored. Doris has once again been made strong. She's not in a wheelchair anymore. Doris has been washed and forgiven, and she is enjoying heaven all because of the one person who always loved her and would never stop. The one person who always cared, even if it seemed like nobody else did, he did. The one who was willing to die for her and make her his own. And what's true for Doris is true for you. God loves you. No doubt about it. Amen.